Hello, my name is Wendy Myers. Thank you so much for joining me on the Live to 110 podcast. You can find this video podcast on the YouTube channel, Wendy Live to 110, and on the corresponding blog post on my website, live to 110.com. Today, we are having Franziska Spritzler on the show today. Love that name. Uh, it has a nice ring to it. We're going to be talking about uh, diabetes and how you can reverse diabetes with a low-carb diet. She's a certified diabetes educator. And I met her on the Jimmy Moore's Live in La Vida low-carb cruise. And uh, Franziska and I were hanging out. Uh, we were fellow presenters on the cruise. And uh, I thought she was really, really nice, and I wanted to have her on the show. And she's also a registered dietitian, and uh, she's a big advocate of the low-carb diet. And she has a new book out called The Low-Carb Dietitian's Guide to Health and Beauty. And I wanted to talk to her a little bit about that and how the low-carb diet can make you more beautiful. Please keep in mind that this program is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment that we suggest today on the show. If you happen to goof up and have a high-carb meal with some gluten, usually uh, high-carb meals do involve a little gluten, there's a great supplement called Glutenza. Um, it's by New Medica. This is a fantastic supplement, and I recommend it to my clients to you know, take it for a little while and to take it before they go to a restaurant in case they get glutenized, uh, in case uh, they accidentally get a food, even if it doesn't contain gluten, it can be cross-contaminated with gluten. And some people can have really strong immune reactions uh, to this, to having just a very, very small exposure to gluten. So I think this is a, a great tool uh, that I have in, in my handbag to take a little glutenza before I go to a restaurant or if I, you know, uh, I have, I splurge and I have a piece of bread or something that has some gluten in it. I usually, I do really, really good most of the time, but sometimes, you know, I screw up and I have some gluten, big deal. Um, so I, I like to have glutenza in my arsenal tool just in case that happens. I'm also really excited to announce my upcoming launch of my body bio rehab program. You can sign up to learn more about it when it launches at bodybiorehab.com. Essentially, this is a 30-day guided program to eat a low-carb paleo diet for 30 days just to try it out, try it on for size to see if it can help improve your health conditions and to make you feel better, give you more energy, uh, to reduce brain fog, and to get your mojo back, basically. <laughs> and the program is going to focus on the five pillars of health. These are the five pillars that you need to be focusing on to improve your health and reverse disease. They are diet, they are uh, detoxification, exercise. I want to have some really hilarious exercise videos showing you what you should be doing on the program. Additionally, there's going to be a supplementation plan to take while you're on the 30-day program, just the basic supplements that I think that everybody should be taking. And the program is going to focus on stress, how to reduce stress, and sleep, um, how to improve your sleep hygiene. A lot of people, a lot of my clients don't realize a lot of the mistakes they're making that are preventing them from a really good night's sleep. This is the key to health. You have got to recharge your batteries every night and get a deep, deep sleep. And I teach you how to do that. So go sign up at bodybiorehab.com. So thrilled the launch is finally. It's been many, many months in the making and it will debut April 1st. Our guest today is Franziska Spritzler. Uh, she is a registered dietitian and diabetes certified educator who takes a carbohydrate-restricted, whole foods approach to managing diabetes and insulin resistance. She works in private practice in Huntington Beach, California, and has been following a low-carb lifestyle since early 2011. Franziska is also a freelance writer whose articles have been published online and in diabetes journals and magazines. And in January 2015, she published her first book, The Low-Carb Dietitian's Guide to Health and Beauty. Go check out her website at lowcarbdietitian.com. Franziska, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me, Wendy. I'm happy to be here. Well, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, about your background and why you became a voice for the low-carb movement? Okay. Um, so I became a dietitian in my... Um, I actually went back to school to be a dietitian in my mid-30s. I was a court reporter before that. 
and I had a strong interest in wellness and nutrition and really wanted to help people. So, and, and I thought I was following really an ideal diet. I was a pescatarian, uh, kind of higher carb, but very low fat, lots of whole grains. Um, and I thought this was the way that everyone should eat to manage whatever diseases they had. So I was trained um, to, to prescribe that type of diet. And I started doing so when I worked, I worked at a large veterans hospital in diabetes management and weight management. And I really thought that I had the ideal diet and I felt good overall, except that I would get hungry uh, an hour or two after eating. I had a snack a lot. And um, if I went too long between meals, I would definitely get kind of cranky and uh, tired and almost feeling you know, faint. Um, but I thought this was normal. I, I, all the dietitians I knew snacked all the time. So I thought that was kind of a normal way to be. And I had no idea that anything might be wrong until I had lab uh, work done for life insurance purposes in 2011, early 2011. And on the lab report that came back, um, my fructosamine value was flagged as high. And fructosamine is a measure of like a one-week average of your blood sugar. It actually measures the amount of sugar that's um, uh, glycated to albumin. And uh, mine was flagged as high. My husband's was not. And because mine was flagged as high, they also did a hemoglobin A1C measurement. And my hemoglobin A1C was 5.6%, which is just 0.1% below where prediabetes diagnosis starts. So that was really concerning to me. And I thought, what's going on? It can't be my diet. I have the healthiest diet in the world. This is the diet that every person with diabetes should be following. So um, I started investigating what it could be. And my fasting blood sugar was normal. My fasting blood sugar was in the 80s. So it didn't look like I had pre-diabetes. It was actually going up a lot after meals. Um, and I found this out by testing myself with a glucometer. I discovered that my blood sugar was regularly going above 160. And it really should never go above, you know, maybe 120, 130, 140 at the max. If yeah, you need I comments. think that's what everybody should do. Everyone should be getting a glucometer and checking their blood sugar before and after meals. I agree. Because you never know. You don't know until you know. Exactly. And it can go on for years without you knowing. And my fasting blood sugar wasn't any kind of trigger for a doctor to say, oh, it's high, let's test. So no one would have ever tested this. And even the life insurance, they're like, oh, well, the A1C was only 5.6. But for me, I was studying for my diabetes educator exam at the time. And so I knew 5.6 is way too high for somebody my age, my fitness level and eating the way I did. So I started doing research online. I read a lot of articles and I discovered that carbohydrate restriction is the best way to control blood sugar. There were um, there was a, a community called Two Diabetes. It's a, a website for people with diabetes. And I read a lot of stories and I could see that the people who had the best diabetes control were using some form of carbohydrate restriction. So I just started gradually playing around with it, maybe reducing by like 20 grams and then 30 grams. I think I was eating only about 150 grams, which isn't that high. The average American eats double that, um, but it was still too high for me. And not until I got it well below 100 grams of total carbohydrate per day did I start to see an improvement in my numbers. And finally, I got down to where what really works for me is staying between 30 and 50 grams of net carbohydrate. I can maintain normal blood sugar control that way. Yeah. Um, so once I discovered this, I started my blog, Low Carb Dietitian. I started writing articles, and then I was actually offered uh, the opportunity to write an article from the American Diabetes Association for their Diabetes Spectrum Journal on a low-carb diet pattern for managing diabetes. So when people say that the ADA is completely high carb, it's not true. They are slowly changing over into making it more individualized, and they realize that some people really do uh, like carbohydrate, low carbohydrate diets, and then it works for people. So I, I just started writing. I wrote that, then I had an opportunity to be involved in some other writing projects. And, um, and I've met a lot of low carb researchers in the meantime. And um, that's really how I got into low carb. So it was, um, you know, a very fortuitous event, getting those, <laughs> getting those labs back, which I, I really was only concerned about my cholesterol, I had no idea anything blood sugar wise was yeah. going on. Yeah. yeah, no, I got my blood testing strips. I ordered some new ones. There are some oh. precision blood testing yeah. strips. I'm gonna be, uh, I've been doing it for a little while, but I'm you know, just continuing to monitoring just to make sure. I think it's a very good idea. 
And so you were a fellow presenter at the Diabetes Summit that's coming up March 23rd to the 30th, hosted by Dr. Brian Mull. What were you talking about? Well, we were talking mostly about how to do a low-carbohydrate diet in a very healthy, sustainable way. I think that there's a lot of misconceptions of what low-carb is. And uh, some people think a low-carb diet is eating nothing but bacon and eggs for breakfast and bunless hamburger or cheeseburger at, at lunch and a big steak, maybe a little bit of iceberg lettuce with ranch dressing for dinner. And I really think that it needs to be a good balance between plant foods and animal foods, lots of high fiber sources in, in, from plants, and just something that you feel you can do long term. So that was our major thing was just talking about how to make it you know, a really healthy, balanced way of eating. Yeah, you know, I've tried a low carb diet before and I don't think I have blood, you know, in the past I haven't had blood sugar issues and so and but I I wanted to try it out. I read uh Dr. Eric Westman's book, The New Atkins, yeah. and uh I was very intrigued by it and I was experimenting and tried it out. But one thing that didn't make sense to me was avoiding certain vegetables that are really nutritious because they have high carbs. Like, for instance, an artichoke. I was bugging out about an artichoke having 17 grams, going, hmm, do I really want to spend my carb, you know, be, you know, debit with yeah. the artichoke? So one, one thing I had a problem with was feeling like I shouldn't eat certain vegetables. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. And here again comes down to how low carb do you want to be? Dr. Westman's approach is extremely low carb and he counts total carbs. So you can't subtract any of the fiber out of that artichoke because if in the way that I look at it, the fiber does not affect your blood sugar. So I just subtract those carbohydrates out of there. For net carbs. That's called yeah, net carbs. You do the right, sugar so. minus the fiber minus the sugar or sugar minus fiber. Yeah, carbs yeah. minus fiber equals yes. net carbs. Yes. Exactly. So like an avocado, an avocado is a great low carb food, just like an artichoke is. An avocado is even higher in fiber though. So let's say you have 16 grams worth of avocado. Well, 14 grams is fiber. So that's only two grams right there instead of the 16 that you would get if you were counting total carbs. He also likes people to say less than 20 grams of total carb per day. And I can see the benefit of doing that in the beginning stages, um, but for long-term success, I think most people can eat more than that. I've never gone that low myself. As I said, I do 30 to 50 grams of net carb, and I get tons of vegetables. I eat vegetables um, at least two servings at every meal, including breakfast. Okay. So, And I don't avoid any of them except for the very starchy ones, and that would be things like peas and uh, potatoes, sweet potatoes, corn. But all of the other vegetables I eat, I'll even eat a little bit of carrots, which are a little higher in sugar because they're a root vegetable. But I will still eat some small amounts and I eat berries. So my, my, my diet is probably more vegetables than most people's. Yeah. I, when I tried it, I was, you know, doing the beginning stages and I was doing the 20 grams of net carbs. And, you know, after a few weeks, I, and I talked about this in the low carb cruise, that I, I just felt really unwell. Like I, I couldn't really think very well. And I was feeling, I was just feeling weird. Like I was faint here and there. And I thought this, this doesn't feel healthy to me. So I kind of abandoned it, but I still, I still, you know, reduce my carbohydrates. I was still much more aware of my carbohydrate intake, which is a very good effect of, you know, attempting to control your carbs and monitoring them and things like that. But can you talk about what can happen if you go too low carb? Okay, if you go too low carb, some people would say you can't because your body makes enough glucose. And it is capable of making enough glucose. But you end up putting, I think, if you're doing a zero carb diet, because there are people out there who eat only meat and eggs. I, I, I've read about a few of them. And I think long term, that's asking your liver to do an awful lot of work to convert all of that, um, all the protein and, and fat, the fat component that can be converted into glucose. I think it takes um, a lot of toll on your liver to do that, and I just don't see the point of doing it. Some people um, would argue that it will also impact your thyroid. I would say that's true if you're not uh, getting enough calories. If you do a low-calorie, low-carbohydrate diet in an attempt to lose weight, and a lot of women do this, they can just um, have like a reduction in their metabolic rate, but also just feeling very cold and tired and um, you know, just not feeling well, constipation, all of the typical hypothyroid symptoms. Generally, that doesn't happen unless the calories are too low. 
but um, not getting any fiber. I mean, everyone's different in the amount that they need for good uh, internal and intestinal health. But I know for me, uh, I need a minimum of 25 grams of fiber a day, preferably a lot more. And if you're doing a, you know, if you're getting 20 grams of total carb a day, the, the max you could be getting is maybe 18 or 19 grams of fiber. And that would be if your sole sources were things like flaxseed that are almost 100% fiber. Most people on a very low carbohydrate diet don't get enough fiber. And I think carb, fiber is really important. It's also good for uh, protection against uh, um, rectal cancer, um, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I, that is my concern about going too low. And I just think people need to find a balance of what feels best for them. I know some people come to me that are on very, very low carb, very high fat diets that aren't losing weight and they don't understand why because they've cut their carbohydrates down to nil, but they end up with too many calories because they're doing so much fat. And I find that increasing their carbs by increasing especially high fiber carbs that aren't going to make much of an impact on their blood sugar, but still give them the benefits of the vegetables and the plant foods and cutting back on their fat a little bit, that helps turn things around and get the weight loss moving again and they feel better. So those are the things I think about a low carb diet. I don't think it's necessarily dangerous unless you, you know, unless you have a condition where you need to be very, very careful about, um, the amount of fiber that you're getting, um, there's certain people who, if you don't get the fiber, they could actually get a blockage. Mm. Older people, you know, I, I wouldn't put people on a very, very low carbohydrate diet without doing a, a very big workup of their their uh, past medical history and other things that are going on with them. Yeah, and I think you know, there's a lot of people in the low carb movement saying, "Oh, everyone should be low carb," and yada yada yada. But I think uh, everyone is different. Yes. Everyone has to find the diet that works for them. And I think it's a good idea to try a low-carb diet and play around with it and see what level, of, what grams of carbs work for you because everyone is so different, different genetic backgrounds, different health histories, different health conditions, et cetera. And you can't just lump everyone together and say everyone should be low-carb. I think that um, everyone's a little bit different. I feel like personally I need a little bit higher carbs. Like, you know, maybe 100 grams uh, are good for me, but that's still low-carb yes. in comparison. Yes. It really is. I know that's the one thing I'm seeing a lot because right now the ketogenic low-carb diet is what's really in, in vogue. Everyone wants to do that keto. I get many people contacting me, can you help me with a keto diet? And I say, do you, why do you want to be on a keto diet? Do you think it's going to help you to lose weight better than being just on a very low-carb diet that includes you know a little more protein and, and plant foods? Um, or do you want a, a therapeutic ketogenic diet because you have you know brain cancer or... Uh, epilepsy or something like that. In that case, I would say a ketogenic diet is always indicated. But for somebody who just wants to lose weight or, you know, somebody like you who does better on 100 grams of carb a day, that's still low carb. It's not, oh, because some people think it is too high if you're anything above 50 grams of carb a day. But that's still well below the average intake. And you need to see, you don't have blood sugar issues. And that's great. You're testing your blood sugar. You know that. You know how you perform best. Most people in my family are not low carb. My husband is, um, but that's just recent. And uh, the rest of my family members are healthy. So, so you, I finally, said, you finally converted him? I converted him. You know what, though? He's, he's definitely a, he's low carb most of the day, but he's still, his evening meal has carbohydrates. So he's kind of like a one meal a day carb guy. And it works for him though. It, it's great. And um, I'm just, I want everyone to find what works for them. And if you do better on a vegetarian diet that's higher in carbs, I think that's fine. And pe some people who even have diabetes, some people with diabetes can manage a higher carb diet. I would say most people with diabetes tend to do best with some level of carb restriction. Yeah. yeah I wish I could get my husband on my mineral power program. <laughs> <laughs> he won't cooperate. He won't. He doesn't want to take supplements. But oh well. Um, so he'll live to maybe eighty. So I'll live to one hundred and ten. One hundred and ten, and he'll be eighty. <laughs> maybe if he's lucky. No, but uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, diabetes and how carb, specifically how carb carbohydrate restriction can control insulin levels and even help to reverse diabetes, reverse that diagnosis. That's right. That's right. That's what the research is showing us in every randomized clinical trial that they've shown where people are actually following the diet. It immediately lowers insulin levels, lowers the blood sugar, and uh, 
people can see an improvement in A1C, a drop of one to 2% with just in just like a one or two month period of time. It's amazing because really diabetes is a disease of carbohydrate intolerance. If you eat the carbohydrates, they break down to sugar in your body instead of your pancreas secreting insulin and the insulin helping the sugar to get into the cells. Pancreas secretes insulin, but the cells aren't responsive to that insulin and the sugar builds up in your bloodstream and a lot of it is diverted instead of being taken up by skeletal muscle where it should be used for energy. It's taken to the liver and converted into fat and you have this increasing insulin resistance over time and it it causes a lot of problems. Having high insulin can cause high blood pressure um, and it can really do a number on your arteries and also increase your risk for cancer. So all of those are reasons to keep your blood sugar as stable within, you know, like I would say definitely no higher than 140. Unfortunately, the American Diabetes Association guidelines allow your blood sugar to go up to 180 for people with diabetes two hours after a meal. And uh, so, you know, when I worked at the VA, I had a lot of patients who thought they were doing just great because their blood sugars were under 200, but they're still doing damage if the blood sugar is over 140. And they spent a good deal of the time sometimes with their blood sugar um, over 140, several hours. Yeah. And another really interesting aspect of what can promote insulin resistance, and I talk about this with my clients all the time, is when someone does a hair mineral analysis, like I do on my mineral power program, if someone has really high calcium levels on their hair test, that means they have really high tissue calcium levels as well. And this can promote insulin resistance. And it's a really interesting uh, concept of body chemistry that is caused by adrenal fatigue. Uh, When we have adrenal fatigue, our calcium levels will rise in our tissues. And if you almost imagine a cell, if you have too much calcium surrounding the cell, uh, nutrients can't get in. It reduces cell permeability. And Mm -hmm. insulin, sugar, uh, can't get in as well. Glucose can't get into your cells. and It stays in your bloodstream and promotes high blood sugar. This is a really, really interesting concept that I think a lot of people don't know about. And you can reverse this by correcting your body chemistry. You can um, improve your insulin sensitivity. And it's a, I think it's a really interesting way to do that. That is interesting. I had no idea. That's really interesting. Yeah. So yeah. why don't we talk a little bit about the the diabetes numbers? What should our numbers look like before meals and after meals? Okay. Ideally, before meals, you should be somewhere in the 80s, you know, definitely below 90. If you're in the 70s, that's okay too. And then after meals, I really like below 120, but definitely no higher than 130. 140 for people with diabetes at an absolute maximum and preferably a lot lower than that. And that's one to two hours after eating. Because sometimes people will test two hours after eating and they'll see a 140 and feel okay. But what was it at one at one hour? Sometimes the one hour number can be higher. I know mine always was. Usually if I tested it two hours, I was maybe in the 130s or 140. But sometimes at one hour, I was close to 200. Oh, wow. So, yes. So I think it's important to try, you know, test at one hour and then test again at an hour and a half or two hours and see what the difference is. Because you may not have hit the peak at one hour or if you wait too long, you may have passed the peak. Yeah. And so and let's talk a little bit about pre-diabetes. Sure. Right? When people are diagnosed with pre-diabetes, I think people tend to not take it very seriously. Can you talk a little about that and how people really need to uh, use that as a wake-up call to so reverse their diet, change their diet and lifestyle? Absolutely. This is really where diet and lifestyle can make a huge difference because if you get your blood sugar under control, you may never progress to having outright diabetes. Now, there's some people who will argue that Pre-diabetes is just early diabetes. You've already got diabetes. And I would say that's true in a way, meaning that you'll never be able to eat a lot of carbohydrates again when you have pre-diabetes, but you can manage it by getting it under control. I I know when I worked at the VA, sometimes patients would come to me with an A1C of 6.6%, which 6.5%, you can be diagnosed with diabetes. And they'd say, well, my doctor told me I'm just borderline. And I said, well, you've crossed over the border. <laughs> you, you probably have had prediabetes for many years, unfortunately. And we could have intervened prior to this diagnosis of, you know, frank diabetes. So um, it's, I think, really important to know what the prediabetes values are. And it's 5.7% to 6.4% for uh, your A1C. And your fasting blood sugar would be anywhere between 100 and I'm going to say 100, but they say 101 to 125. 
And many, many people, I would say over 50, probably have some um, at least elevated fasting blood sugar between 100 and 110. And that's particularly true if you carry a lot of uh, weight around the waistline. And But again, doctors really don't get concerned until they see blood sugars well over 120. So somebody could have early diabetes and not be doing anything about it. And I think looking at this and, and saying we want to keep our blood sugars close to 100 as possible, and once it's over that, we, we people should be uh, informed about what they can do about it. Yeah, so say someone is diagnosed with diabetes. Yes. What is the first step that they should do to begin a low-carbohydrate diet? It depends what they're doing at the time. Definitely cut out all processed foods. That would be my first, or, or sugar. If you're drinking soda, that actually be my first one. But see, people come with all different, you know, some people are already doing kind of like what I was, eating as a healthy a diet as they possibly can. And uh, for those people, I would say you need to start cutting back on the carbohydrates, you know, monitoring your blood sugar after meals. For people who are already doing maybe a lot of fruit juice, fruit juice is loaded with sugar. I would definitely cut that out. So any very concentrated forms of sugar, I would have them cut those out first. And some people like to go all in. Some people are like, okay, I'm ready for a dramatic change. I just want to reverse this as quickly as possible. I would start with carb restriction early. But other people, if they're following like the standard American diet, drinking soda, eating a lot of chips and things, just getting those out of their diet first would be the first step before actually taking away things like bread and maybe some other foods. It might just be too much for them and they'll just give up within a few days and say, forget it. I'll just take the medication that the doctor wants to give me. Yeah. And so what are the problems with the medication? Because I think a lot of people uh, think that, oh, I can just eat what I want. I'll just take my insulin. Um, What are some of the problems and side effects of medications? Yeah. So the side effects of diabetes medication, with a few exceptions, um, they can be pretty drastic. There's uh, sulfonylureas. They make your pancreas produce more insulin, but they also can cause you to gain weight. They can increase your risk for heart disease. And um, they also can cause you to have low blood sugar. It's unpredictable how it's going to work. You need Some of them you need to take 30 minutes before you eat, and then you eat the meal. But depending on how quickly or slowly your stomach empties, you can't guarantee exactly when the food is going to be leaving um, and being absorbed into your bloodstream. So you can have a low blood sugar because the medication has told your pancreas to produce the insulin and the food's not ready yet or the food hasn't digested yet. So you could, you're putting yourself at risk for low blood sugar. Um, other medications, almost all of them are associated with weight gain and cardiovascular um, risk. And then insulin itself has those problems at too much exogenous insulin. Now, people with type 1 diabetes, there's no question. They will have to inject insulin for the rest of their life because the pancreas doesn't produce any. But for people with type 2 diabetes, um, again, when I worked at the VA, some of them were on extremely high doses of of insulin, Um, you know, 300 uh, units a day of insulin. And what that does is it keeps your blood pressure very elevated and it causes all kinds of metabolic um, issues and weight gain. That's the thing too, is we're trying to keep the blood sugar under control. The only way to do that in some cases what doctors think is to load the patient up on insulin to keep the blood sugars stable, but that high insulin can also do damage to the arterial vessels. And uh, so it's the best thing to do is to keep blood sugar as well-controlled as possible with as little insulin as possible. And the way to do that, I think the best way to do it is with a low-carbohydrate diet that keeps the blood sugar low, so you don't need that amount of insulin. Um, Dr. Westman has done some studies on people with type 2 diabetes that were on hundreds of units. And he's done this in his clinic. He takes them on a very low-carbohydrate diet. And within a few days, they're going from hundreds of units to insulin, uh, uh, hundreds of units of insulin to needing no insulin or you know minimal doses. And that's huge. And they lose weight much, much more easily. And they're full because of the kind of food they're eating. So I've just seen so many benefits in people who adopt this approach who have diabetes that... I really think it's the number, the number one best thing you can do. Yeah, it's really um, kind of a, a curse when you uh, are diagnosed with diabetes and put on insulin that the insulin can cause you to gain weight. And mm-hmm. it's this catch-22 because you need to lose weight 
to reduce your blood sugar and control diabetes, but the medication you're taking to control it causes you to gain weight. And I saw this in my father, who was uh, a diabetic for at least 10 years prior to his passing, and he he just ballooned up, and and the, it it makes the 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 health condition worse. And I've I've seen it with other family members as well, and they are it, and this obesity and the diabetes medication causes cancer it causes many at least many many other health conditions can you talk a little bit about that sure um so i'm sorry so the diabetes medication you're talking about or just taking the insulin or just having diabetes having diabetes can lead to other diseases oh absolutely it's it's one of the number one causes of heart disease actually most people with diabetes end up dying of heart attack or stroke um, and they may not know that they have heart disease unless they're being monitored regularly for it. And their cholesterol levels may be just fine. That's the other thing. Most people with diabetes are put on statins and their cholesterol, LDL cholesterol level looks really good. And yet they're getting so much damage to their endothelial cells, um, that endothelium, that uh, plaque is forming. Regardless of the LDL level, plaque is forming and they develop a massive heart attack um, because of the blockage. So um, that's a big thing. And then not controlling your blood sugar can lead to um, just horrible, even if you end up living for several years with diabetes, you can have problems with your eyes because the high blood sugar damages the delicate vessels that lead to your retinas. And once you have any kind of damage to your eye, there is no reversing it. With kidney damage, if you discovered early, you can reverse it by changing diet, by taking medication. But with, when you damage your retinas, there's no going back. So all you can do is try to prevent further damage. Yeah. My so. father had that as well. He, he was this voracious reader. He read one or two books a week, his whole life. And then towards the end, he wasn't able to read anymore. He just, he couldn't see the, see the page. Um, That's just heartbreaking to me because these are things that are very preventable, you know, but a lot of people just don't know there's not enough education about how important it is to keep blood sugar levels in control. And even people with pre-diabetes levels can be doing damage. That's the thing. It doesn't have to be completely out of control blood sugar. Um, the American Diabetes Association says any A1C under 7% is good, but that could still mean that you're at very high values for most of the day. You can still get an A1C of 7% being, you know, above 150 for a good part of the day. And that can be doing damage to those blood vessels. Also for, um, the extremities, when I worked at the VA, many, many people with, um, amputations above the knee, below the knee amputations. And I just, you know, when I first started working there, I thought they were all injured in combat. But the majority of them actually had such bad diabetes, um, foot wounds and um, leg ulcers, um, gangrene, that they had to have their legs amputated. And it's just, that's the thing is, you know, I know your, your podcast has lived to 110. And some of these people were actually living pretty long, but they had such poor quality of life because they'd done so much damage. And, and also the kidneys I mentioned, most people on dialysis are there because their blood sugar was uncontrolled or their blood pressure was uncontrolled or a combination of the two. So all of these um, you know, really devastating illnesses can be prevented if you just take care of yourself and get your blood sugar under control in time. Because this is stuff that happens over time. When you're first diagnosed with diabetes, your blood sugar may be very high, but the sooner you get it under control, the less risk you are for developing problems later on. Yeah. I remember my father, uh, you know, I went and visited him one time and his toenails were in really bad shape. I said, dad, you need to go get a pedicure. And he's like, I can't because if they clip me or they cut me in some way, just a tiny little scratch, then it could turn into a sore and gangrene, et cetera. So he was terrified of that happening. So I had to give him like a little pedicure, but it, it's true. I think a lot of people don't, they think it's not going to happen to them. Uh, they, they think that they're not going to get their leg amputated or they're not going to go blind or any of the other health consequences. And people, they really need to wake up and start checking their their uh, their blood sugar with a glucometer and doing it on a daily basis uh, so that they can prevent this problem uh, before it gets out of control, before they start developing symptoms. By the time you present with symptoms, you have had some sort of underlying health condition or unbalanced body chemistry for years. Yes. And this, this silent damage has been occurring. So I can only encourage people to get a glucometer. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about your book? Um, you've wrote a book called The Low-Carb Dietitian's Guide to Health and Beauty. Um, yes. Talk a little bit about that and what inspired you to write it. Sure. 
So I've been thinking about writing a book for a while. I wanted to write a book for women. And um, I did want it to have some kind of a beauty component to it. But I also wanted it to be, as I said before, I'm really about like a balanced low-carb diet. I think it's really important. And I wanted to have an alternative to all of the keto books that are out there now. I was actually approached about a year ago by um, somebody from a publishing company who wanted me to write a keto book. And I said, I just don't really want to do it. It's, It's not... You know, I think keto can work for some people, but I think just like a balanced low carb approach is more what I'm up, you know, what I'm up for with the way that I eat. I really think most people can benefit from eating similar to the way I eat, maybe tweaking it up or down a little bit if they need to. And so I had that in my mind. And just last summer, I started kind of putting together some chapter ideas. And then once I started writing, I, you know, it just all kind of came to me, just all of these ideas of how can we make it as healthy as possible in a way that's not only going to improve our health and the way we feel, but also maybe even help us to look better. And, you know, at every age, I'm, I'm 48 now and I, you know, things change as you get older. It's not as easy as it was when you were in your twenties to feel and look your best every day. And I got to tell you, a low carb diet, I feel better than I have in years. And I, I actually have seen changes in my skin that, um, I'm really happy with too. So I just wanted to share this with other women and, uh, and just let them know that it's not always a super, super high fat diet. That's got just a few little greens here and there. You can have a really well-balanced diet and still be low carb. Well, you definitely do not look 48. So I commend you for that. You're doing something right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. I, I feel good. It's, you know, it's some part of it's genetic, but I think a lot of it is lifestyle. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. So why don't you talk about some of the the beauty tips you have in the book and how being low carb can help, you know, make you more beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So really controlling blood sugar helps because when your blood sugar is too high, um, you actually end up damaging not just your internal organs, but your skin as well. If you see someone who's had really poorly controlled blood sugar um, for a long time, like some people with type one diabetes, unfortunately, that's a really hard one to control. It, It, you know, some people just have a much harder time than others. And over time, it takes a toll on your skin. So keeping blood sugar control, um, you know, blood sugar under good control at all times helps. Also eating healthy fats. I just discovered that eating high quality fats, all different types, monounsaturated fat that you find in nuts and olive oil, and then the polyunsaturated fats, the omega-3s that you find in fatty fish, and also things like flaxseed and um, the fats that you find in dairy, all of those can have a beneficial effect on your skin. Things like berries have, um, well, at least raspberries have uh, a compound called uh, elagic acid that can help to uh, keep your skin more elastic as you get older. And uh, you can, I have like a list of 10, uh, top 10 low-carb beauty foods, and they're all my favorite foods. I was looking, I eat almost all of these every day. Things like avocado can help protect from sun damage, Um, and so can cocoa. So not talking about like, you know, a Mars bar, I'm talking about real good dark chocolate or cocoa powder that can help to repair sun damage that you've experienced. I mean, I didn't really know that foods could do so much for you, but there's many low carb foods um, that do. And um, I'm just, again, really just wanted to share this with people. So, so they had an idea of what they could do to you. Yeah, I used to be a sugar addict. I was really, really bad growing up because I always had a really high metabolism. So I ate lots of sugar every day, even eating three candy bars a day at at one point and uh, really had a big problem with it. But um, I was terrified when I read this article that said that when you eat sugar, it produces these ages, these advanced glycation end products, Mm -hmm. and they basically break down collagen protein. And your collagen is what keeps everything nice and firm and taut and you gain weight, your skin will suck back to the uh, its prior prior you know <laughs> condition, and uh, and I, w- I was terrified that by eating sugar, it's going to age me uh, much. It's going to make your skin start drooping and things like this. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah. So the advanced glycation end products, they're formed. You can either eat food that contains them, or they can be formed in your body, and that's a reaction between a protein and glucose. So if you have high blood sugar, that can form ages in your body. Having fried foods too, it's not just sugar, but yes, sugar is definitely um, a big uh, age accelerator, age both ways, an AGE and age accelerator, but also fried foods. 
So, you know, frying foods for too long. Again, I'm, I'm all in favor of fat, but um, heating certain oils to, to, to high temperatures can cause the ages as well. And starchy foods that are fried um, can uh, develop ages as well. So it's a balance between the ages that you're consuming in food and the ones that are happening internally in the body. And again, a low carb diet, you don't have either one of those problems um, as long as you're not doing, you know, like fried pork skin or something, but <laughs> they, um, you're not having the sugar, you're not having the starches that break down to sugar, and you're, you're eating a lot of anti-inflammatory foods in the form of, um, you know, non-starchy vegetables and the berries and nuts and those sorts of things. Yeah. And let's talk about a little bit about the sugar in fruit. Uh, what, uh, what are some of the problems with the carbohydrates in fruit? Because I'm a, a big advocate of telling people to maybe cut out some of your fruit because... Mm-hmm. Today, the fruits are, are hybridized. They are bred to have really high sugar. Because when I eat a blueberry and it's sour, guess what? I spit it out because there's not enough sugar in it. And so all these the food manufacturers are growing fruit that has the highest sugar content. This is not the fruit that we were eating, you know, even 100 or so years ago. I try to do the, the heirloom fruits if I can, um, if I can find them at the farmer's market. But can you talk a little bit about the problem with high carbohydrate levels in fruits? Sure. Yeah, people tend to think that fruits and vegetables go together and just eating as many fruits as you can is just like eating vegetables, but it's not. As you pointed out, they're very high in sugar. It's not just the sugar content. Also, the size of the fruits are so much bigger now. Like when, when I was growing up, um, you know, an apple was, you know, an average apple was about this size. Now there's, you know, bigger than baby's heads sometimes. They're like a big grapefruit size. And that's four apples, really. So much sugar in there. And, um, you know, a lot of it is fructose. And fructose is taken straight to your liver, having too much fruit, and especially in the form of fruit juice. But certain fruits are higher in fructose than others. But that can contribute to high triglycerides and some insulin uh, resistance as well at the liver. So I recommend keeping the carbs, um, you know, from fruit pretty low. Uh, The best ones are berries, like blackberries and raspberries are the best because they're the highest in fiber. And because the fiber doesn't break down to sugar, for a cup of blackberries or raspberries, you're only getting six or seven grams of net carb, which is not very much at all. And so I have that. That's, That's pretty much the only fruit I eat. Sometimes I'll eat maybe half a small apple with some nut butter on it. And, uh, but I I generally don't eat too much fruit for people who want to eat fruit. Um, melon can be okay because it's very high water content. So the sugar is kind of uh, dilute, Uh, but something like a banana, that's going to really increase your blood sugar quite a bit. When you think about it, banana is the only fruit that's not juicy. It's not juicy at all. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty compact and it's also very sweet. There's no sour or bitter component to it. So bananas, even though everyone thinks it's super healthy, they can raise your blood sugar. I I know a lot of people think, or at least when I worked at the VA, a lot of the veterans had a big bowl of oatmeal topped with uh, a chopped banana and a glass of skim milk. And that's a lot of sugar. That could be 100 grams of carbohydrate to start your day. And for many people, that's too much. And definitely somebody with diabetes, if you wait too much. Yeah, I just cringe when I read about these fruitarians on the internet eating 10 and 20 bananas a day. I'm like, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> you are destroying your body. Because tropical fruits have so much sugar. Like, uh, I really, I love, of course, I love tropical fruits because they have so much sugar. Because the pi- it tastes- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it tastes amazing. Yeah, like the pineapple and bananas and, and, uh, uh, and papayas and things like that. I've really kind of started to shy away from those. Uh, I, I have for a long time. Um, even this morning, uh, I was just grabbing something to go out the door and there's some bananas there. I'm like, no, it's just, it's just too much sugar. Just too much sugar, yeah. Yeah, and they're also, fruits aren't as nutrient dense as people think they are because of the hybridization of fruits and because many times they are fertilized with NPK fertilizers. Uh, they, 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 you know, that's three minerals where minerals in our bodies should have hundred, a uh, hundred minerals. And so the, the fruits, uh, because of the way they're hybridized, they just do not have the amount of nutrition. So people, I think, mistakenly think they're getting this, uh, this huge nutrition boost, uh, from eating some fruit, but granted some fruits are very nutrient dense, like berries, uh, definitely I'm a big fan of berries, but I don't want people to kid themselves thinking they're eating this amazingly nutritious food. Definitely better than, you know, uh, 
you know, French fries, yeah. um, but they're not as nutrient dense as people think, unfortunately. And plus they're stored in the, the store for a long time and transported. And I see all this fruit from Chile and Whole Foods and it just, I'm like, I'm not buying that. That's been, you know, a week old at least. And it's just the nutrients are not there. That's right. The nutrients have evaporated by that point. And then yeah. you're, you're, the sugar never leaves though. You're still left with the sugar. <laughs> yeah. The sugar concentrates in them like grapes or <laughs> right. whatnot. They're just more and more concentrated. Yeah. <laughs> So, so do you have any, we got off the concept of the topic a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other beauty tips uh, that you have in your book? Sure. So, um, one of the big ones is getting enough sleep. They have done studies. I mean, I know it's hard when you look in the mirror after you haven't had sleep, you notice it, but you think, does, do other people notice it? And over the long term, especially it can take a real toll on your looks not to get enough sleep. So that's a big one. Um, and just maintaining as low stress levels as you can, which is almost impossible in our daily lives, just the way that we live now. But taking some time out for yourself, all of those things. Um, it's, it's really that beauty from within thing. I, I didn't mention sunscreen in my um, book at all, but I, I think using some kind of sunscreen is important too for your skin, but doing as much as you can from the inside to protect it. And just getting comfortable with yourself too, you know, just do being the best you, you can be and not trying to compete with people. As I said, you know, I'm getting older. Um, I'm not trying to look like I'm in my twenties anymore. I'm not, you know, I just want to be the best I can be inside and out. And I think when you, you know, fill yourself with good food and take care of yourself, then that, you know, shows on the outside. What are some of the other favorite tips that you have in the book or some of your favorite topics that you discussed in the book? Uh, let's see. So I talk about protein intake and I think, um, that was another thing that like the ketogenic diet, some people are promoting, like cut back on your protein so that your uh, ketone levels will be higher. But when you cut back on protein, um, you can end up losing some muscle mass. I, I just, I think you perform better, have better energy and even more satiety when you have a decent amount of protein. And I recommend about, I have a chart in my book for, you know, depending on if you're a small, large, or medium-framed woman, and I have you measure your wrist to find out which one you are, how much protein you should have. And I say somewhere between 1.2 to 2 grams per kilogram. So that's about 0.6 grams um, to 1 gram per pound. Um, and some people do better on the lower end, some people on the higher end. But I think going too low in protein can be a problem. And, and I mentioned earlier fiber, that's a big one. I think fiber, soluble fiber, especially is so important. And on some of these very low carbohydrate diets, people just aren't getting enough fiber. And it's, um, that, that's something that I really like to bring to people's attention because I, I read things like, um, I guess there's a book called the fiber menace about how fiber is bad for you, but he's mostly talking about added fiber, like the fiber in wheat that people add. Um, versus fiber that comes from whole foods. I just don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I think most people benefit from increasing rather than decreasing the amount that they eat. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely probably should avoid Metamucil <laughs> with yeah. psyllium husks and things like yes. that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a fan of that at all. Eat your broccoli. Just get your fiber. Eat your broccoli. <laughs> Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts have so much soluble fiber. And then, as I said, flaxseed, chia seed, um, all of those things. So many ways to get fiber in your diet and um, and I just don't see the point of avoiding it. I see much more benefit to it. And for people who want to control their blood sugar too, having more soluble fiber actually helps to control your blood sugar, both fasting and postprandial. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Francisca, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, I've enjoyed myself. Thank you so much for having me, Wendy. Well, you're not off the hook yet because I have okay. one question I okay. like to ask all of my guests. Okay. Uh, what do you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today? I would say um, the fact that we have such a huge aging population and I want everyone to live a long life, but I want it to be a healthy and good quality of life. So the 110, the age to 110, um, I want that to be 110 wonderful years, not, you know, the last 30 years be on all kinds of medication where you can't think straight, where you're having, you know, you're incapacitated and lying in a bed and not able to take care of yourself. Um, that is a big thing to me is that we have such a huge, you know, the baby boomers are aging. We have a huge, um, it's, it's going to be very expensive to take care of a lot of sick people. So I would rather everyone do it all they can to be healthy so they can age, you know, and have wonderful, wonderful older years. 
Yeah, it does. It makes me so sad when I hear people, they're turning 60 and 65 and they're on two and three and even 10 medications. I cannot even imagine living like that. I saw my father do it. My father was on 10 medications and only one or two supplements. And it, and I saw how he suffered and he just felt terrible all the time because of all these drug interactions and muscle wasting from statins and neuropathy and just all kinds of, of issues related to his, his drug use. And uh, so that's what that's actually what prompted me to start LiveTo110.com because people can reverse their diseases and they can live a long, healthy, disease-free life without taking medications. So that's, you know, if anything, is my main message on, on the website. That's yeah, well, Francisca, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you and where they can get your book? Okay. My website is Low Carb Dietitian. So it's www.lowcarbdietitian.com. And there is a book link on there, but it's, it's available on Amazon. It's called The Low Carb Dietitian's Guide to Health and Beauty. And it's available in the Kindle and also a paperback version. Great. And what is your website again? Oh, it's lowcarbdietitian.com. So all one word, lowcarbdietitian.com. If you just type in lowcarbdietitian to a search engine, my site should come up first. And you guys, you can also see her presentation at the Diabetes Summit coming up March 23rd to the 30th. Just click the link below in the below the video on YouTube or uh, in the, the corresponding blog post on my website. And thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to learn all about how to reverse, uh, reverse health conditions naturally and all about detoxification, how to do it right with infrared saunas, go to my website, liveto110.com. You can also check out my new online health program. It's a 30-day uh, program with menu plans and uh, all kinds of ways to improve your diet and lifestyle. De- definitely a low-carb uh, diet plan, <laughs> paleo <laughs> diet plan. Go to bodybiorehab.com. That's going to be up April 1st. So excited about that. And thank you guys so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast.